You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. My name's Jose. I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect one, and that is Jesus. After this gathering, we have a thing called Discovery, which is just that. It's, it's a time to discover what the church is all about, look at what the um, partnership with the church looks like, and so I want to invite you to the den. That's the room in the back, and uh, would love to tell you a little bit more about the church and answer any questions that you may have. That's my favorite part is answering the hard ones especially. So make sure you bring your your difficult questions. So we are in a series called The Stories of Jesus. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus. These stories that he told, they're simple stories that explore deep truths. And so I was praying and and asking God, all right, God, I'm going to be jet lagged on Sunday morning. I need something easy. And uh, he, he said, talk about money and possessions and, and uh, stuff. And so uh, that's what happens when you say, God, give me something easy. He, he challenges us. And so we are going to be looking at the parable of the foolish rich man in Luke chapter 12. If you want, you can turn there. But I'd love to share a little bit uh, about what God did these last two weeks, because truly it was Remarkable. Number one, Uganda is such a beautiful country with incredibly beautiful people and a beautiful culture and cooler weather than Texas. So I, I already miss the cooler weather. Goodness, it is warm here. Thank God for AC. We uh, spent time in the classroom with kids from first grade all the way to like eighth grade while Mary Thrasher, our very own, trained uh, the teachers for a whole week. So we were certified, glorified, missional substitute teachers. And uh, we loved on the kids during the day. And then in the afternoon, we got to teach them a Bible study. And uh, so that was amazing. We ran through the fruit of the Spirit. And um, you'll hear a song of the kids all singing the song that um, they they already knew. And it was just incredible. And, And then we got to play the best sport in the whole entire world, soccer. And it was an outreach opportunity where we uh, played, and the, the Ugandans were very, you know, stoic at the beginning, just like, you know, us guys, when we play a sport, you know, you show up, and you size everybody up, and, you know, I was super intimidated, and, and uh, played the, the whole game, and then afterwards, in Uganda, it is a sign of friendship when two men walk down the street holding hands, and so I was holding this guy's hand walking down the street, so we went, went from mortal enemies on the football pitch to friends. I got to share my story and my testimony with that group. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus through the most wonderful sport in the world, soccer. And so I got to share how I was invited to this church my freshman year at Texas State University and then started to follow Jesus as a result of that invitation. Soccer changes lives, y'all, okay? (laughs) That's not... That's not the message. Uh, but uh, the, the mission really started day one when um, we left here. In fact, we didn't get very far before Mike asked, everybody remember your yellow fever vaccination? And I said, nope. And so the first mission was for the lead pastor to turn around and go back home to uh, get his yellow fever, that's me, uh, card. And, uh, you know, it's my job to teach people patience and grace. And so we started out with patience and grace for me. And uh, we did say that we were going to be on mission from the moment that we left 
all the way through. We prayed for God to open up doors. And, and one really fun story is uh, our first leg was in Dubai. And so we were in Dubai airport and somebody else uh, forgot their boarding pass. So we had to go in. You know, we thought, thought of it as an inconvenience. Ever thought about that? Sometimes our inconveniences are actually invitations. And so we get in line and who comes right behind us? It's a, a national cricket team, which, by the way, is like the second most famous sport in the world. It's just the truth. Most of, uh, anyway, that's, I'm just, okay, here we go. Laser focused. We got to share the gospel with uh, the captain of this Arabic uh, cricket team member. We got to pray over him in Jesus' name, and uh, God, he was open. He didn't give his life to Jesus, but you never know, again, when an inconvenience uh, is actually an invitation to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that was really cool. We finally made it to Mbali after three days and just had an incredible Moment Again, the people are beautiful. The food was delicious. The country was amazing. But it was the kids that stole my heart. It is a miracle that I didn't bring one with me on the way back. Maybe I'll go back. Uh, but God uh, taught me so much through the children in Luanda and uh, in Namatala, the two places that we got to go. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that by showing you their faces. So before we go any further, check out this video. I didn't put music to that video on purpose so that we can hear the joyful sound that came out of those precious little ones. And Yesu Akwagalau, which you heard many say, means Jesus loves you. So that is their way to bless us as a church. They send their greetings. And uh, I left uh, with a, a big lesson, and that is that they have so much, yet they have so little. And sometimes we who have so much can also have a little of what's most important. And that's what inspired 
the message this morning. I was in the Dubai airport, and uh, I was going, which oh, Dubai is synonymous with opulence, if, if you don't know. I mean, it is where the richest of the rich live, and so in the airport, there was a watch store, just like there was, you know, a little store where you go get candy and newspapers in normal airports. They had Cartier and Rolex and all of these other brands, and I saw this one watch, $16,000 now. If you know watches, you know that that's just how it goes, but this is what struck me as immediately as I walked by, I thought about the normal Ugandan makes $4,000 a year. And here are people looking and buying these watches that are four times that amount. And see, the issue is not whether to buy the watch or not. The issue is that abundance has nothing to do with material possessions. An abundance mentality, having what God wants us to have has everything to do with storing up our treasures up in heaven, which is what all of these little ones know, thanks to people like Mike and Mary, people like many of you who have spent time giving others that are less fortunate so that they can know the Lord because they have what's most important. They have the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. And so again, I said, Lord, just give me something easy. Sunday morning, I'm going to be jet lagged. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at the rich man and this parable that uh, Jesus teaches. See, in Romans chapter 12, we uh, find ourselves in uh, a, a big crowd. There were thousands gathered. They were trampling one another. And Jesus hears one man asking him. Actually, he doesn't ask him. He tells him something, and then he addresses his disciples. So he's teaching them. And my hope again this morning is that he would teach us something this morning in verse 13 says someone in the crowd, again, these are thousands gathered, said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I want you to think about what question would you ask God if you were face to face with him? Maybe it's, God, why did you create mosquitoes? <laughs> Lord, why is it so hot? Lord, why fill in the blank, okay? I have some of mine. He doesn't even ask a question. He commands Rabbi Jesus to tell his brother to divide his inheritance with me. Now, it's important that we know the context here. He's probably the younger brother. And, and so back then, the older sibling would get the inheritance, and it would be up to the wisdom or the grace or the kindness of the older brother to give the younger siblings. And so in this case, it's probably an unjust uh, in, uh, situation going on here. And so he's saying, God, this isn't just command my brother. Tell him what he needs to do. Jesus replied in verse 14, man, who, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? His point is that he didn't come to meddle with these little issues. If you get Jesus Everything will make sense. If you get the big stuff, these little issues will resolve themselves. He turns to his disciples and says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. Let's pray before we dive into the parable. Lord, 
Thank you for your word that is true, it's alive, and it's active, and uh, sharper than a double-edged sword. I pray that it would pierce our hearts as we read, Father, and that we would leave here changed because we encountered the word of the living God. I pray, Father, for ears to hear, and uh, that my words would please you, God. And uh, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. This is the parable that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to deduct six points from these next verses, uh, but first I'm going to read all the way through, and then we'll come back for the points. Sound good? Here we go. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This is the situation. It's a good problem, okay? There is an abundance of crops that have been harvested or, or that have yielded an abundant harvest. Good problem. Verse 17, he, the rich man, thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So we're going to read the next verses all the way to verse 34, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll dissect six points from this parable. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then, you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn yet. God feeds them and how much more valuable you are than birds who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your Life, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The words of Jesus for us this morning, I, I want to make something very, very clear. This isn't about money. God's not after our money. He's after our heart. And he knows when he gets our heart, we'll give everything else to him because we will recognize where everything that we have actually comes from. My hope is that none of us walk out 
hear a rich fool. <laughs> because this is the way of the world. This is the way that our natural self, you know, I'm going to take care of me, uh, works. My hope is that we would leave here as wise stewards, not as rich fools, but wise stewards. That is what Jesus wants to teach us from this parable. Because again, the problem is not the inheritance that the man asked him initially, but the problem is who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve myself and, and my needs, or am I going to serve God and, and therefore bless other people? There are these concentric circles that I made to help illustrate a little bit about how we live and, and how we roll. This first one is our comfort zone. Now, our comfort zone means the basic needs that we need, clothes and food, which Jesus already said, hey, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given. He says it in Luke 12. He says it in Matthew chapter 6. He says it multiple times. Those things are important. We need comfort. Let me ask you this question. Would you live in Texas right here if we didn't have AC? Nope. We would all be going to Colorado. We would be, actually, the beach is cooler than it is in central Texas, so we'd be rushing over to get some uh, refuge. from. So, so it's important to be comfort, but what happens when we have too much comfort is uh, we, we then react because we don't want to be in panic. And, and so there's the comfort zone and the panic zone, which both are under this mindset that's called the poverty Mindset, which says, I do not have enough. I need to get more. Uh, nothing will ever be enough. There's panic. And, and so then we, we go back to our comfort and, and we work there in our, our comfort zones. But what God wants us to learn is to live in the in-between, which is the growth zone. And that is an abundant mindset. When we have nothing, we say God will provide. When we have everything, we thank God for providing and we allow generosity to flow from us. That's what it looks like to be a wise steward versus a rich fool. Aren't you glad you came this morning to learn how to not be a, a rich fool? Uh, we we want to be wise stewards. And so let's look back to verse 16 through 19, and learn how to be that, how to be a wise steward, and, and contrast what it looks like versus uh, a, a rich fool, because there are six statements that give us clues as to what is wrong, and all of those six statements have one letter word, I. He is so self-absorbed, self-reliant, and self dependent or independent. And that is the problem when we walk in our own strength. Here's the first I statement. He thought to himself, what shall I do? That's what a foolish servant says, or a rich fool says. When we have a problem, in this case, it's a good problem, and we internalize that problem, and we say, what do I do? The wise steward says, God, what do I do? Lord, you are the God of the harvest. Lord, you put me in this place. God, I need help solving this very, very good 
problem. See, our inner dialogue actually reveals what's in our hearts. And these are all inner dialogues that this man is having. And so instead of saying, what should I do? Let's be people that ask God, what do I do? Then he will say, like he says in other parts of scripture, sell your possessions and move overseas. You're not doing it because you think that's a good idea. You're doing it because that's a God idea. He told you to do it. He told you how much to give. He told you where to go. He told you how to handle a situation. How do we do that? We read his word. We live in community. We ask wise counsel uh, from wise counsel in the church. Hey, I have an issue. What? Help me uh, decide. What, what do I do? What would God want me to do? So this first issue is, is a big one. Are we looking at our own discernment or are we asking God, Lord, what do I do? He says what to do in verse 31. I'll just read it. It won't be on the screen, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, sell your possessions and, and give to the poor. So there is some sort of given. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, but the bottom line is we got to seek God's agenda, not my agenda. Some cool things about uh, crops is that Uganda is incredibly fruitful. Only 3 million out of the 30 million actually live in the capital city in Kampala, which is rare. Most developing nations, they actually live in the cities because that's where the resources are, that's where the jobs are, and so they can go and, and uh, produce income so that they can support themselves, etc. Well, in Uganda, the land is so fruitful that you will find people living out in the middle of nowhere because there is water. And there is food. And like many Texans, they want to be far away. And in this area, they want to be far away from Austin and San Antonio and other city populations. They want their own peace and quiet. They're smart people, smart, wise people. <laughs> and they live off of the land. And so after one of those Bible studies, um, I told the, um, I forget what we were talking about with the students, but I told them, where you live is a blessing because the land produces the food that you need. Where I live, the ground is rocky. And uh, if you try to plant anything, good luck. It's frustrating. And then now you got to watch your tongue and your thoughts because you're cursing the ground and, and cursing people around you. Ah! And, and so the teacher afterwards said, Pastor, how do you eat? <laughs> If, if your land doesn't produce food, how do you eat? And I said, well, we go to the store and we buy our food at the store. And she said, all of your food from the store? And I said, all of our food from the store. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If stuff goes down here, we're in big trouble. If stuff goes down over there, they'll be just fine. They have food and they have water. It is fruitful. That goes into this next I statement. We ask God, what do I do? And then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, a ground of certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he obviously owns this land. That's his rightful, you know, place to plant and, and harvest crops. There's a big problem here that we all have to wrestle with. I share this with the students too. I don't know about you, but I didn't choose when I was born or where I was born and to whom I was born. Did you? No, I have no control over that. I can't even add a single hour to my life scripture 
says. So I, I don't know if these are his crops. I don't know if money I have is my money. A wise, I'm sorry, a, a rich fool says, I don't know where to put my crops. And a wise steward says, God owns it all. They're not my crops. They're his crops. God, what do I do with what you've given to me? Uh, I've been born in a certain place. You've given me gifts and talents and an, and, and an opportunity to go to university and, and to study and, and to make a, a living. God, thank you. What do I do with your goods? There's no better example in scripture than King David's final prayer as he's ready to hand off the baton to his song, uh, son Solomon. He, he utters a prayer. The, the temple is about to be built. And he says this in 1 Chronicles 21, starting in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Listen to this. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. He got it. It's all his. His crops, his money, his house, his business. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he owns it all. We are people that should be aware of that. And here's the, the cool part. The more we recognize that things are his, the more that this thing called gratitude comes in here. And, and we just do what David just said. We give you praise. So let's look at the next I statement because we, we got another problem here. He says his solution. All right. I, I don't know where to put all the, the, this abundance. I don't have a place to. Oh, I have an idea. I'll tear down my barns and I'll just build bigger ones. I didn't know that this guy's Texan. I mean, everything's bigger in Texas. I talked about Bucky's a couple of weeks ago, and one of y'all actually came up to me and burst my bone and said, Texas no longer has the biggest Bucky's. It's actually in Tennessee. But don't worry, uh, Luling is bigger, is building a bigger one. So we can reclaim that title because everything is bigger in Texas. Y'all, I mean, this is our stuff to, to struggle with. I hope you get where I'm going, okay? Uh, uh, he's saying, okay, I have a problem, too many things, so then I'll just hoard, I'll store, I'll save. Nothing wrong with saving. Nothing wrong with saving. Nothing wrong with having a lot of things. Nothing wrong with that. Again, it's the mindset. This is an, an inside conversation that this man is having that Jesus and all of his wisdom knew that we also have. So he's teaching us how to have an abundance mindset. Here's how David continues his prayer in chapter 12. He said, wealth and honor come from you. So God owns it all. You are the ruler of all things and your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? Look at this humility. And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. You see what he's doing? He's, he's giving thanks from what God has been given him. And he even compares it. God, we can't give you 
what you've given us. Even if we tried, it's too much. David is consumed with gratitude. So let's look at what the foolish rich fool says. Um, I will build bigger ones. I will build bigger ones. The wise steward thanks God for my portion. Have you given thanks to God for what he's given you? It, It may be a little compared to your neighbor or your parents or your siblings or your children. It may be little, but have you given God thanks? If you want to battle envy, if you want to battle jealousy, practice gratitude. Just give God, thank you, God, for my home, for my daily bread. Thank you, Lord, for giving me enough. The more that we practice gratitude, the more we will give generously. They are connected. I love the sequence first. Uh, God, what do I do? Everything comes from you. I'm going to thank God for what he has given me, whether big or little. Now let's go to the next I statements uh, and go to scripture. And there I will store my surplus gain. So again, he said, all right, so I'm going to build a bigger barn. Instead of being grateful, I'm going to store my surplus grain. What is he doing? He's saving. He's hoarding. He's keeping what's his, right? Uh, This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, oh, I'm not going to find it. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. It's important. The one who is willing to sell, the one that is ready to let go of something. It's not only just giving things away. It's just this practice of, I have something. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to bless other people. I'm going to stimulate economic growth so that there is complete human flourishing here on earth versus just saying, I have my bank account, my savings, and I am just going to hold. Listen, the more we give thanks, the more we will give. Let's go to those principles now. The rich Fool says, I will store my surplus. And the wise steward says, I will give generously because he has been generous with me. And now let me stop and say, you are an incredibly generous church. Uh, While I was gone, our executive pastor, Taylor, summed up the baby bottle fundraiser campaign that we just did to bless two pregnancy resource centers to help moms that are in that panic zone to give them the comfort of God. And you raised $14,570 with 84 cents. That is what a generous church looks like. And I want to thank you for, for, for giving. I mean, goodness me, you give so much. The, our, our presence abroad uh, is that 10% of our budget goes outside of the walls of this church to bless our local ministry partners and our global ministry partners, which, by the way, we have Donko Dudok that will be in the house uh, next Sunday. Isn't it amazing to see all the global ministry partners visiting us? He's from Serbia, Belgrade. Uh, he's awesome and powerful and hilarious. He used to be a clown professional con. And so I think you'll enjoy, he won't be preaching, but uh, I'll I'll bring him up on the stage and he'll say a couple of words. He's just flying, uh, passing through. So uh, it's going to be fun. Okay. We are a generous church. Here's what I want us to learn from this. In our culture, we say we spend first and then we save second and then we give God our leftovers. 
Isn't that true? That's just cultural. I'm not saying that you do that. I'm just saying that's the culture. We spend first, we save second, and we give third. Maybe you save first, you give second, or you spend third. That's better. But God's way is, is flipped. We give first. We give God our best. We don't give him our leftovers. We save second because it's wise to do so. Again, after we give and then we spend the rest. Uh, We think about ourselves at the end versus thinking about ourselves at the beginning. And that is what uh, Jesus is getting at at this parable. The rich fool says, I I will say there's plenty. I'm just going to hoard and I'm going to keep this in this large barn, Texasized barn. But the wise steward says, no, I'm going to give generously. Uh, I have enough. I'm going to go ahead and and give. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give uh, others. And this is really what Jesus hits in Matthew 19. Oof, I'm running out of time. I'm preaching like I did in Uganda. I preached for like 40 minutes. I won't make that a routine. Don't you worry. Uh, but okay, I'm going to speed it up here. Jesus said in verse 23 of Matthew 19, I truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle uh, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this and you've probably said, if you're rich, it's going to be impossible for you to enter. Context is huge here. Let's continue reading. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If you try to earn your way into heaven, if you try to give your way into heaven, prosperity gospel, hello, it is impossible. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you respond to what he's given to you by the way that you give, man, watch what God does. Watch God make impossible possible. That's what we saw in Uganda. Impossible possible kids being nourished with food and shelter and the word of God flourishing to become men and women that are giving back to their country so that they can become the future leaders, the kingdom leaders in that nation. That's what we're doing here at Cypress Creek Church. We are pouring into the next generation. We're not just giving to what we want. We're we're giving to our student ministry and our college ministry on the Texas State campus and our kids ministry because it's about the future. It's not about us. We give generously. By the way, in Matthew 19, I don't think it's a coincidence that right before he he, he, he talks about the rich uh, not being able to get into the kingdom or, or rich man, eye needle, you get what I'm saying. He talks about the little children. And he, he, it says this in verse 13 of Matthew 19. People brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. What is he doing? He's comparing a dependent child with an independent rich person. We are to be dependent children in our faith. We depend on God as a child depends on his mother. We don't stay young and and as infants, but, but our faith is one of total dependence versus one of independence. I got me. I'm going to hoard. We instead uh, rely on God and not worry. That is what a wise steward does. The rich fool says, I'll say there is plenty. And the wise steward says, I'll rely on God 
and not worry. God's going to provide. God's going to give me what I need. All right, one more. Last I statement. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I love what Romans 14, 17 says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can have the world but lose your soul. You can have all the material possessions in that uh, incredibly expensive watch living in that incredibly luxurious apartment in Dubai and be miserable. It's not about material possessions. It's about joy, peace, and righteousness that we have with Christ. And so the foolish rich man takes life easy, eats and drinks merry, but the wise steward lives through God and seeks his kingdom in all things. I wonder which one strikes you in this season of life. Maybe it's one on uh, the, the, your left, the rich fool, that, that you need to compare to wise stewardship so that you can have this abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. He, he wants us to overflow with that same spirit that these children were overflowing with. And I want to close by saying we cannot rely on our strength in order to achieve wise stewardships. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do it on our own. He guides us. He comforts us. He directs us through every step and every word. And that's what Ephesians 4 talks about. 4.13 is probably the most uh, celebrated verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But here's the context. Paul is saying, uh, I, uh, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. It's not about material possessions. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you're able and willing, please stand with me as we close in prayer and worship. Lord, we need your strength to live your way. We need your Holy Spirit. And I am grateful that we are in your presence this morning. I thank you, Lord, for an incredibly generous Church and Father, I pray that we would go over and beyond thanks to your generosity in our lives so that we can see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, here on earth in Uganda, here on earth in Wimberley and in St. Marcus and in Kenyon Lake and in Kyle and all throughout Hayes and Kamal County. Lord, we pray your will be done. And we ask God for our hearts to be receptive to the way that you want us to live as wise stewards. And uh, we thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for your blood that was shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for the promise of everlasting life thanks to your resurrection. And I do want to invite anyone in the house that has yet to say yes to Jesus. Maybe something this morning stood out to you. And uh, you are ready to hand over control of your life and allow God to do something incredible with it. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And if that's you, He's not looking at our actions or our words. He's looking at our heart. He does want us to confess with our mouth and to believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. And then scripture says, we will be saved by faith. And so I invite you to repeat after me and say, Jesus, 
I surrender. I give you control of my life. And I thank you for dying for my sins, for promising me everlasting life, thanks to your resurrection. I choose this day to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.